Bigger than Capes. Give me some outside. Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to it, and then I watched it. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and this week I'm joined by Will. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, buddy. How are you up to? How are you up to? What is wrong with my brain? (laughs) It's not like this is the first words I've spoken to here. We've we've chatted beforehand, and yet I went in two-footed, and it was utter nonsense. I like the idea, though, that we only speak within the confines of the podcast. Yeah, (laughs) absolute silence when when the button's... Turned off. I just walk away. I mean, I say nothing. We can do that if you want. <laughs> only interacting these conversations. Uh, in answer to your question, I am pretty okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all, mate. Um, I think as we were literally just saying to each other, maybe I say this every time as well. By making a good dent into my backlog, <laughs> by um, not spending any money on anything other than, I guess, just fuel. <laughs> Diesel and electricity and gas. Um, fun, yeah. fun, fun. All, yeah. all the stuff we enjoy spending money on. All the really cool stuff. I but It has opened up a world of backlog. I bought these things for a reason. Sometimes upwards of like seven or eight years ago. And um, now, it, now, now, now I'm ready. I, I've reached a, a great system where this, the oldest stuff I have tends to be like random DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. So occasionally I, I like will read a full run of something I've bought and not touched for five years. Um, but I'm doing like one one run of something a year. So ultimately I'm never catching up. I, I, I Like I read all of uh, Rebels a few months ago, which yeah. I bought in, I believe, 2011. Okay. Yeah. So ultimately I'm now making a good dent on that mm-hmm. because I finished 2011, at least on one comic. Um, but yeah, the backlog is forever, I think, is the system I believe in. Mm-hmm. There's just so many comics that I have purchased. There's definitely a hierarchy. There are some things that I bought and then probably had a bit of buyer's remorse afterwards and thought, I'm not sure why I picked that up. But um, I've, I've, most of the Kickstarters that I backed have turned up. I have backed a lot a, recently, yeah. Yeah, I have backed a handful more, so I'm expecting more, but I've got plenty of reading to do there. So, yeah, working my way through it and uh, trying not to ignore stuff anymore. I mean, it's hard. I think mm. that it's, it's the curse of... Anyone who's into comics or just books in general, you end up with an unbelievable amount very quickly and you always want more. So Yeah, because fun. it's a medium I really love. Like, I want to support everybody. Like, everybody who's making comics. Well, not everybody. And I think you know who you are. <laughs> I think if you listen to our show, you understand we're probably we're, we're quite on a, on a liberal scale of things. And uh, there's another scale of that. But the point being... I want most people to succeed Yeah, the comics. So I'm happy to give them my money, but yeah, a lot of the time it does mean stuff sort of stays in the cellophane. And like a supermarket with yellow stickers, I'm a sucker for a sale. So you put me a sale on, give me a full run of something, that could be upwards of like 10 volumes, and I'll probably just buy all of it at once. Yeah, and you know, I have a similar issue, I think. <laughs> it just, is just weak compulsion. I don't know. I've got a lot of books that I need to read, and I am slowly getting there, much the same as you. Um, I think the thing at the moment is the incredibly indie stuff I've got is the stuff that I'm like trying to power through because mm-hmm. there's so much that I have digitally that I can read anywhere that the stuff that I have at home physically that only exists in that one physical form is the stuff that I'm like, I want to read all of this so that then I've got all the digital stuff that's not like tied to a place in the universe that I have to be. Yeah. You got to make opportunity for those. I I still don't have enough time, but maybe one day I will. um, Megatropolis, the kind of alt world dread story turned up in hardback the other day. And that's nice. That's very lovely. I've got that in digital as well. I just, and in the original um, Judge Dread Megs that it came in, but it's real purdy. That was one of your top picks for last year, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. I remember things. I know things. I think we should maybe do that on the podcast. I think it's got a lot, a lot going for it. Yeah. You know, we, we've not really touched much 2000 AD. No. I've got loads. Have we touched any? <laughs> I've got loads. Um, apart from the fact, like, I keep bringing it up for, I think, when we... You, you keep mentioning it any, any opportunity. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. Although, disappointingly, in the intro, it's Matt saying... Oh, Dread. Oh, Dread. We can recut that if you want, if you want to do your own dread right now. And... Oh, dread. I mean, I echo the, sen- the sentiment anyway. Put you in as a kind of backing vocal on that if you want. <laughs> dread, 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 dread. Um, so this week, not dread. Not dread. Uh, this week, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. Mm-hmm. An incredibly long title. As a name, it kind of immediately makes me think of like... You know, like all the kind of pop punk emo bands from the mid thousands with the really long song titles. Our lawyer made us change the name of this song so we wouldn't get sued. That kind of that's a righteous thirst for vengeance puts me immediately in that kind of. All right, we're, we're using the long titles today. Sweet. Well, definitely. I was listening to another podcast which I shan't name for um, just competition, really. Um, I mean, you can mention other people. We don't <laughs> well, exist in a vacuum. That's true. Uh, it was from Off Panel, and it was a, a interview with Matthew Rosenberg, and he talked about the fact that like most of his indie books have stupidly long names. Four kids walk into a bank. Yeah. Um, what's the furthest place from here? Et cetera. And Only two I can think of, but yeah. I know there's more. <laughs> that's two examples. That's good enough. Um, but he was saying when he worked in a comic shop... We can never go home. No, nice. Thank you. Good work. <laughs> when he worked in a comic shop... Um, people would get confused with single word titles. Mm. Um, but even if they get it wrong and say like, you know, where's the furthest place from now or whatever, at least in a comic shop, you'll go, I know what you mean. <laughs> I, yeah, know what you're after. I, I know like there's, there's multiple books called things like Echo, which is like, it becomes difficult. And you're like, which Echo do you want? Or like, I think the example he used was trees. And I think the book they yeah. were looking for was like the woods very yeah. different from trees yeah but you can um, see where the title gets modeled one of my p- personal favorite title misunderstandings was when i worked in a comic book shop well i still do but you know the, another one i worked in mm-hmm. the amount of people asking for the um frankenstein sherlock holmes crossover mm-hmm. which doesn't exist no but sherlock frankenstein yeah and having to explain to people who's like no I, I get all the Sherlock Holmes kind of comics it's like yes but that's not what this is <laughs> trying to explain like I, I now that you've pitched it I want Sherlock Holmes meets Frankenstein's monster or meets Dr. Frankenstein I'm easy mm-hmm. but it's not real <laughs> hey this is Jeff Lemire doing some stuff but that that's always stuck with me is yeah. the determination. It's like no, no, Sherlock Frankenstein. It's it's like yes, real name of comic, <laughs> not the book you have. It's not what you're thinking. Created, in, but I like the idea of hearing a title and conceiving what that book must be. Yeah, only to find out no, you've created something completely independent. It's of. really it's real different. But you know, if Sherlock Holmes does meet Doctor or Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. I, I I'll take it. I think you have like a double date and then Watson has to go on an adventure, say, with Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, I could read that. And Sherlock with the monster. And maybe there's some sort of race to solve a crime. It's all, you know, two odd couple relationships. It's unfolding in my mind. It's sort of, um, oh, what was the, uh, what was the Richard Pryor and uh, Gene Wilder one about the train? It's got like Blue Streak. There was a second there where I was going to say Superman 3. But I think... <laughs> I'm not sure Gene Wilde is in that. Gene Hackman is. Yeah, different Gene. But um, anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole. But <laughs> well, we're already down that rabbit hole. Copyright, copyright that idea. We'll write that one up. <laughs> um, um, so back, to... back on topic. My original point was A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance is in and of itself like relatively difficult to remember. But... It sticks in your mind that it's a very bulky title. And I think as long as you get two or three of the words right, most people know what you what you're after. Yeah, as long as you're like in the area, I think people will be like, oh doing a slight talking like Scooby Doo thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite normal in the comic shop. 
But no, I agree. I think if you've got you know righteous and vengeance, you probably you probably cracked this. Yeah. Um, you want to take the intro for this, or do you want me to intro for this? Um, or? I'm happy to take the intro. I mean, it's um, it's kind of a difficult book to to explain. <laughs> to intro. Well, uh, written by Rick Remender, uh, art by Andre Lima Arujo. Arujo is the way I would go. I'm going with it. Colours by Chris O'Halloran. Uh, letters by Russ Wooten. Um, Angela will be pleased. I think she likes Russ Wooten, doesn't she? It's wonderful. She does. Yeah. Uh, designed by Erica Schnatz. And production assistant, Gabe Dinger. Dinger? Dinger. I, f- I feel like it's Dinger, but we, Dinger doesn't feel right. We may never know. But, um, but A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance certainly appears to be the tale of one man's crusade to uh, interrupt or derail a sort of a deep web assassination network. It's yes. a very mysterious book <laughs> that stretches its questions um, over quite a long period of time. Or, that's not quite fair, but I think the entire book takes place over about two days. Quite possibly, maybe a yeah. little bit more, but it's 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 a slow pace of book, but a fast pace of time. <laughs> but a fast pace of time. Um, I don't know what that means, but so it's hard to say exactly what the next sort of steps are. Although this book, I guess, takes up the point where um, our main character, Mister Wen, saves uh, Neva Romero and her son Xavier from being assassinated and then they go on the run but he has now been implicated in uh, a handful of murders yes so he's on the run from the police who also seem to be corrupt and there is this uh, clearly very wealthy evil dude <laughs> in french polynesia who appears to be pulling the strings although there's some suggestion that's perhaps another level above him there's a lot of questions a lot of characters um who are introduced and clearly have a lot to do with the plot. But as of yet, it's not entirely clear what that is. Yeah, it's an enigmatic first five issues. It is that. Um, That's a good good way of saying it. You haven't read it yet, but issue six does give us some information, or potentially some information, um, about Mr. Wen more than anything else. Um... But yeah, there's a lot of questions, and it it is kind of a sl- a real slow burn on the information you do get. I know mm-hmm. when you were writing about this for the website, you talked about how there's not a lot of dialogue, mm-hmm. and it's quite a fast read, and stuff does happen, but not a lot that you can really talk about, which is why I kind of thought we'd have more to say with a full trade. Yeah. Here. And I think it's a book that reads much better in one go. Yeah. If this was coming out in like graphic novel form, I think it would probably just save a lot of time. I think the singles are good and they, they look great. The art is really good throughout, but I think the actual story being told kind of exists better when you've got a lot of it. I think we both tackled it in singles to begin with and then yeah i think i got about three in and then thought like i feel like i'm sort of writing the same thing every week um but i actually i like i like the pace of it actually i like the yeah i like the focus on quite small details it will spend several panels showing you like one action one movement yeah and we'll sort of break that down over and that that's why it's a quick read, but over such a short period of time, like because it spends an entire page will be spent on a conversation sat in a car, which a monthly book would probably spend two panels on jamming a load of text in. <laughs> but something with its own pacing and freedom can take a full page. Yeah. And... But as you said, there's it doesn't have very much dialogue. And sometimes no. that lasts for quite long periods and all the storytelling is being done in the art. And then suddenly that kind of focus and that detail becomes important and um, gives it a reason to look at a page longer than, I must admit, for the most part, a lot of like action-based comics, you kind of get everything you need at a glance. 
mm. and uh, you get the rest of the context from the text. But in this, you need to take so much of the story from the the art and the individual moments that you just it's worth spending a little bit of extra time in in clocking all the detail in there. Yeah, I agree. I think in a way because of that, it's kind of reminiscent of like you know like old western films where you'll spend like fifteen minutes just with a guy sat waiting for a train mm-hmm. and nothing really happens, but. It just spends time building tension through how little happens. Yeah. It's it's kind of the same. I think, okay, more happens than just a guy waiting for a train for 15 minutes. <laughs> but I I still think it does that kind of slow tension building kind of vibe. Like in the first issue, we see a load of small details that kind of tell a bigger story about uh, Mr. Wen, where the things like people keep telling him he should have an umbrella he doesn't he tries to buy cigarettes which ultimately the interaction in the store kind of sets up later the later part of the issue mm-hmm. um and we then see the kid who's got the pigeon that's injured on the side of the road um and he can't you know the kid knows he should kill the pigeon because it's gonna die anyway but and that kind of set up all tells you a lot about Mr. Wen without really telling you anything, like immediately telling you anything. It just shows you yeah. who he is. I think for me, what I got out of that was it shows Mr. Wen has this, it apparently has this sense of sort of social responsibility. Yeah. He visits his mother who um, would appear to have like some sort of Alzheimer's or dementia and lives in a care home. But just before he goes to try and save uh, Neva, he just drops a pile of money at the front desk and, you know, look after her. Uh, Even when, as you say, it's raining and he doesn't have an umbrella, there's an old couple running for the bus and he sort of holds the bus for them and lets them get on first. And, yeah, with the pigeon, an analogy that I um, understood as a cat owner and sometimes you get these, like, half-dead raggedy things you know the right thing to do, but it's a, it's a tough choice to make. Yeah. But ultimately he does, and again, like, ends up back in the rain. Um, he's always sort of suffering for his sense of responsibility. And I think that stretches then to what he's doing. And I mean, it's we, we don't find out at this point why he's doing what he's doing. And you said the next issue, you get a bit more about Mr. Wen. So I guess it comes out then. But this, like, he's putting his life on the line to attempt to stop, or at least warn people that they're they're the victims of yeah going to be the victims of assassination. Um, you know, you need a pretty pretty good reason to decide to <laughs> throw yourself into that world. But again, he just seems responsible. He seems like he he feels like he owes something. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um... It definitely feels like there's a sense of responsibility to all of his actions, often to his own uh, disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes out of his way constantly to do the right thing or what he believes is the right thing. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I, I, th- I don't think we get a lot of characters that kind of fit that mold in comics. He seems like quite, I don't know, well just really normal. Um, in a way that yeah. comic characters tend to be exaggerations of particular character traits. Um, and in a lot of things are, I'm not saying this is a negative, but are relatively sort of two-dimensional. They fit a particular role that's needed in the story, and that's why they exist. But I think a good example of it is when he bumps into uh, a guy in the petrol station while he is buying cigarettes. At first, like, absolutely lays into him about getting into his way and looking where he's going mm-hmm. and then immediately like pulls himself up and says oh that that's actually a shitty thing to say and helps him put his groceries in now as we know that sets up to something much more sinister but at the time i think it shows a bit of a breadth of his personality like he is liable yeah, to definitely. be angry and snap um and obviously we know that he's like under quite a stressful scenario where he's going and what he's planning to do yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting because for, for much of the first issue, we're kind of left without any knowledge of what he is 
doing or what his plan is or what where he is going it's kind of interesting to get what like 20 pages 20 something pages into a book before we really know what <laughs> what the deal is i mean even now five six issues in we do don't really know what the deal is so absolutely not like um yeah it spins its story over such a long period of time that it, it lets the sort of action and stuff play out um so there's quite a lot of context clues loads of it again is in the art like when he's he goes to accept a new job on this um What's it called? I want to say like the dark web, but that might, that sounds like it's too is like, it sci-fi jargon. Mean, that is what it is, but I think it's called yeah. Wet Bear. Wet. Oh, that's right, Wet Bear. Um, it is Wet Bear, yeah. And he goes to sort of take a new job, which ends up being Neva's job. And the only the only context you get from that, the fact that he isn't just an assassin, is like he's sweating and pondering over the accept button. There's no inner monologue saying like, oh, I need to take this job so I can go and warn Neva before <laughs> she's assassinated, as a lot of comics would do. It just it just lets you look at it. And for the most part, I knew, I felt like I knew what was going on. Yeah. And I also think the bits that it has withheld, it's done so on purpose. It's not a, a failing of the storytelling at this point. Like it's, in fact, there's a bit where there's a phone call between the very rich dude in French Polynesia and the police officer Curo. Yes. And it's written in such a way that you only get the unuseful parts of the conversation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it never tells you what they're actually talking about because you only get the sort of uh-huh, yeah, good idea. <laughs> and then it's back to the other person. Which is good and it, it maintains the ongoing mystery of not really knowing what's happening. Um which is impressive. I think it's impressive to maintain kind of su such a strong kind of intrigue building narrative whilst giving so little information. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. I guess in that sense, it's kind of reminiscent of things like Lost, which kind of spent se season after season asking questions only to not necessarily answer anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess that... We, we do see that kind of long format approach to gonna give you a load of questions and no answers. And that that does work here. Um, kind of curious where this is going to go. Definitely. And it's interesting because I kind of associate Rick Remender's comics with being quite densely packed with stuff. Mm -hmm. Things like Black Science. Yeah. There's like no room to breathe or move because there's so much stuff. Duff. Yeah, yeah. And I can't even think of anything else right now, but Deadly Class. Deadly Class. It's incredibly like ev every age. space is filled with something. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see him tell a story so different where the books like the story is just allowed to breathe and have like hardly any named characters. Some of the I we've got what, like three four five men yeah. five named characters and then we've got like cindy the like csi forensics person oh, yeah. uh, who is in one panel but gets a name and then <laughs> uh, we've got mayor oak who do we know who mayor oak is is mayor oak the guy in french polynesia oh, is mayor perhaps, oak yeah. just i don't know yeah don't know but... it's just a name we see on the kind of dark web assassination Definitely job board. A pseudonym, yeah. The same with Blue Jackal, obviously. We, we see Blue Jackal appear uh, in a few issues, but we don't really know who he is other mm -hmm. than a well-respected assassin. Yeah. Uh, we also have another assassin in issues two and three who we just don't get a name for. So, But we also see, because of that, that this other guy assumes Mr. Wen is the Blue Jackal because names are kind of left so nobody knows who anyone is in the assassin game, mm -hmm. which I guess makes sense if you're gonna be a you know hired killer, I guess being anonymous is like important. I, I Yeah. You know, I just... 
I think you, you you said it already, but they've managed to craft a an intriguing world by just asking a load of like obtuse questions. They've plunged you into this scenario that begs like explanation as to. I mean, we don't even know why Neva is a target for assassination. There doesn't seem to be any Ew. real clue as to what she's done or, or has perceived to have done. We don't know why Mr. Wen's involved, any of it. But the moment to moment is like is quite thrilling. Like the the fight to stop Neva's assassination, I think is really is really good. It's like quite protracted. Um and again, it's not, you know, it's not like a superhero fight when there's loads of punches being landed. Mr. Wen is clearly not a trained fighter. Yeah. And sort of, you know, struggles his way to victory. Um, I think the colouring is really excellent and does a lot, a lot of the heavy lifting in the storytelling. Yeah, I think that's true. I think... Um all the colouring kind of suits the locations, but also does a lot to, like, establish the different locations. The colour schemes between, like, Neva's apartment and the mansion in French Polynesia is so different that it, it does make a big difference in the visual you get. And people kind of get character colours as well. So, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to assume he is Mayor Oak for now uh, in French Polynesia. All of his panels are kind of purpley pink lilacs yeah um, almost all of Kuro's are a kind of olive green uh, Mr. Wen's are almost always bluish mm-hmm. any action is kind of yellow or orange or like moment of surprise or punctuation um, anything that's kind of disgusting or scary tends to be red I think like, it's not like I've absolutely clocked these out, but... No, but I can't... There's, there's some... I think there's a kind of a pattern to it. There's a logic here. And I think it reads subconsciously into your head eventually that when you see that kind of yellow-orange background, it immediately says sort of action. Like, it is a punctuation point. It's almost like grammar in, in colour. Grammar in colour. It's a good album title. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'll take that down for next time. Um, <laughs> Copyright. No, I, I agree. I think there is a, a strong colour association. Um, I did want to ask about a, a, a favourite feature of, of all books we talk about with you, which is uh, onomatopoeia and sound effects. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, maybe there's not a lot of them, but I feel like it's noticeable because we have so little dialogue at times, yes. and we're kind of given a lot of scenery that when we get kind of the click of a door being locked or uh, the glug of when drinking milk or stuff like that, that there are a lot of sound effects throughout. Yes, definitely. And for the most part, I think they're really, really well done. Like when Neva in an apartment listening to music and the musical notes kind of work the way around the back of her head, but in front of her wrist... So it just it gives that impression of like flowing everywhere, and similarly when uh, Mister Wen gets to the the first house that um, kind of concludes the first issue, yes, there is a squealing kettle, which kind of bleeds throughout all the following, and yeah, animals. and the way it works its way around the corner, so you could it sort of suggests where the sound's coming from, and then when he takes it off, and the 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 constant ringing of ease then just sort of shrinks into tinier tiny ones yeah i think it's great i love that sort of um that's world building for me and that makes it feel so much more um i was gonna say inclusive but that's that's not really what i mean um immersive immersive that's exactly what i mean thank you uh no i agree i think it it would feel quite static if it was just a lot of images without dialogue so i think having the, sound, the the implication of sound helps to flesh out the world rather than just being the images. There's a I don't know. There's a weird disconnect between having the images and then having the images with sound effects. Mm-hmm. It kind of there's a couple that have that kind of manga thing of not really being a sound but being a movement. 
Yeah, the kind of little movement lines and... There's a bit where they um, somebody's got a coin in their fingers and it says flip. Yeah. Or when he's dusting dusting his prints off and it says, like, swipe, swipe. Like, that's not onomatopoeia, but... But it's similar... Just triggers something in your imagination that says... You can think, you can think of a sound that this is making. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I think it, it is really well constructed, though. Um, yeah, it's, I think Russ Wooten's kind of sound effects and lettering throughout are pretty solid, really. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it, it's a it's a challenge as a letterer if there's not many words to write. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do what you can with what you're given. Something to be said there, but um, th- there's a good balance of kind of regular speech throughout, and then words with more force behind them. We have a bit of Neva shouting. Well, we have a few panels of Neva shouting and things like that that are more focused on. Um, I don't know. It, it, it is good lettering. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah, as you say, Minimal, not, not ever but, present, but well, well done when it is there. Which I think the dialogue was was pretty good as well. Like everybody reads um, very believably. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I don't know. It, it's strange. I'm not always. I think I mentioned on a previous podcast. I'm not always a huge recommender fan, and I think the characters here feel very realised without having too much dialogue. So I think the balance is good. I think sometimes in other recommender books, we're kind of presented with a character and basically that's it. It's kind of, here's here's your character, I'm going to go. I think here there's a good effort to establish every character before getting to mm-hmm. know them. and or, or we get to know them before they're dependent on dialogue. I think maybe that's a shift in format because I think of things like Tokyo Ghost, which I know a lot of people were really into, but I just couldn't get into. But that was kind of capped at 12 issues or 10 issues. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe it's that there's more freedom here with the format, which then allows the characters to be more fully established rather than just yeah. given to you. I can see that. I wonder if like it's just maybe just a bit of an evolution for, for Amanda, wanting to try something a bit different. It, it has also been, I guess, about 10 years since Tokyo Ghost, so... Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, just for, for a bit of balance, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Rick Remender and normally read most of what he does, um, at least on his kind of creator-owned scene. Um I just I read a Captain America of his. I didn't didn't think that much of, but that's, that's by the by. Fairly sure I've read the same Captain America run. Yeah, but I you I feel know like I've read some Venom as well. He did feel like he's uh, for me anyway. Somebody who sort of saves his saves his best ideas for himself. I think, which is utterly fair. I think yeah, I think that's more true of the current kind of generation of writers. We see people doing their best work on creator owned independent stuff rather than. I mean, it's uh, giving uh, everything to Marvel or DC. Just the other day in the news, who was it? It was saying, um, was it Joe Casey? Had like turned down Marvel's offer for the use of, I want to say Morbius, but did he create Morbius? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting lost in my own sort of thought. But um, the point being that I think people know by and large now that they're not going to be financially rewarded if any of these characters take off. It was America Chavez. That's okay. That's yeah, yeah. what it was. Joe Casey and America Chavez. Okay. Um, the, the, yeah, you're not, you know, you're not going to reap the benefits of that either in actual financial gain or just kind of recognition. It's not going to bring people to come and read your, other works necessarily yeah that is there is a truth to that i think once you know that particularly as a new like upcoming writer then it sort of feels like well why why would i give you something new you know (laughs) why would i give you the best thing i have i might i might as well just read i'm never gonna get told hey congrats on that best thing yeah i don't know I, i see the point definitely no, I think that's. I think it's true of a lot of writers. And obviously, Rick Remender isn't the newest of writers. It's, no, no, he's been around. We're like what twenty years into Rick Remender books. Yeah, but I, I think stuff like with, with more current creators or newer creators, even like uh, kind of Rom V and mm-hmm. um, 
Dan Waters, uh, Danny Cates, kind of people who are way newer to comics. I think we see them doing their most interesting work away from Marvel and DC. And I mean, there's a reason we focus on indie books, I guess. Yeah, I, I must admit, you know, I've not I've not read a lot of what they've done. You know, I've not read any Swamp Thing. Um, Which, don't get me wrong, has been good, but yeah. on the other hand... Graffiti's wall. That's it, and it, that's not from a, a like a conscious decision not to read something. I would like to read it. I just haven't sort of got round to it. But yeah, I think um, the many deaths of Layla Star. Yeah, I say graffiti's wall. Um, even like back to his sort of early um, big hit. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a big hit, but these Savage Shores. Uh, it, was, it was a big hit. I, think. I thought it was. I thought it was very good. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I think I've got nothing against it. I, I, uh, we, I we have tangented so hard. I know. On we always we're do. Meant to be here. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's get let's get back on course. Screw you, tangent. Um, what are we talking about? Colors. They were really good. Letters. They were really good. Letters really good. I just the art in general. I think. Um, I think this is feel like something I mention a lot as well, but it clearly means a lot to me. Everybody has a different face. Yeah, no, I, we mention it a lot, but it, it is valid. Um, the breadth of design work, even on just like henchmen, you get a picture of three henchmen and you then see them in a different panel, like in profile, and it's still clear which is which. And it's surprising how often that isn't the case in comic books. Weirdly so, yeah, I think that attention's kind of backup characters and giving them... You know, their own face. Just a is... little bit of distinctiveness. Um, but I think the, the dis main design of the kind of lead characters are really good. Um, I'm getting perhaps a, uh, a desire to have Benedict Wong play um, play Mr. Wen in a film. I can kind of see that, yeah. I think there's definitely if a, a little bit of that. It's not always, but there are some kind of particular panels where I think... I mean, you might as well just trace Benedict Wong's face. <laughs> it, it's not just so much the face as kind of a similar, like, um, body shape and everything. Like. Sure, like a mannerism to him as well that, yeah, I think we would be really good in it if they were ever to adapt it. If anyone wants our opinion on who the casting should yeah, be. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a producing uh, credit. I think, I, I mean, we've already touched on the kind of um, Western influence in the kind of narrative yeah. and... I, I do think there is a cinematic feel to this and and you can kind of see how this would be adapted to be a show or a film. For or, sure. Which I guess is something that we're seeing more and more creators pay attention to in comics these days because it's constantly happening now. Yeah. So you know, no. I don't I don't know. I don't um I don't want to be so gatekeepery that for the most part, I think most adaptations, I would still say go and read the comic. Like, I think the comic is still probably better than the majority of TV adaptations. Some of them, I think, are good evolutions. Like, I think Umbrella Academy, um, certainly in terms of the like the core family and the cast, I think is much improved from the book. Yeah, there's a lot. I think Umbrella Academy is an example where they're like it's been much more streamlined, and the comic can feel very. Very much like Gerard Way kind of enthusiastically trying to write a Grant Morrison book, mm -hmm. which it is. Yeah. And so much so that then, you know, Gerard Way went on to write Doom Patrol when yeah, did it again. <laughs> but uh, I think that the show kind of rounds off some of those awkward edges that the comic has. And don't get me wrong, I, I love Umbrella Academy. It's one of the comics that kind of got me into regularly reading comics and mm -hmm. got particularly indie comics. I think I was incidentally already into Grant Morrison's Batman at the time, but um, <laughs> Umbrella Academy was one of the things that got me into the kind of dark horse weirder world. So again, tangents hard, but no, I, I agree. I think there's still merit to checking out Umbrella Academy, even if the show exists. And I think that exists for for a lot of comics, I think the there are shows that improve shows and films that improve on the original stuff, but 
the original stuff is good enough to be adapted in the first place. So. Mm-hmm. But you know, when the boys TV series came out and was popular, I remember like Dynamite released all the old like Omni Omni Omnibuy Omnibuy. Yeah, that's the word again. And they like shot to the top of sales charts for uh, only for a little while. Oh yeah, for for a solid week, but but that's kind of what I want the shows to do is to drive people yeah, back boost, to the source the material the good stuff and then hopefully once you read that and you recognize some of the names of the people involved or whatever then you go on and you just sort of keep going but comics do such a terrible job of advertising themselves that yeah at times that's definitely true um but no i i i think there was an original point here somewhere it was no, kind of about adapting this I yeah suppose, isn't it? um I, I do think it has that cinematic kind of vibe to it and like the consideration has been made of what this would be like in another format mm-hmm. um and it's kind of you know it's gruesome and it's i, I don't even know what the, just very yeah the, there's some gory stuff in here mm-hmm. and like Neva smashes the guy, one of the, the well, the assassin in the face with a pan of boiling water, and just takes his face clean off with it. Yeah. Really, um, and that's not even the, particularly the most gruesome bit in there. So it's, I don't know, it's interesting because we we spend a lot of pages kind of tension building, and then that tension is kind of released in throwing a pan of boiling water at a guy or. <laughs> because because it's set and drawn quite realistically that those small actions feel massive you know it, like Neva's life is genuinely on the line it's not like a superhero punching a villain through a wall like at some point they don't feel as spectacular as they should do based on what's actually happening because your expectations shift yeah like Wen's but, fight with the other assassin is the kind of it's Cl- clumsy, awkward fight. Exactly. He almost kind of survives by luck and just kind of determination against somebody much better trained and much more willing to kill than he is. And it makes those small moments, I think, just much, much more impactful. Like you say, the, the pan of boiling water is Neva just absolutely desperate to try and save her own life. And, you know, fair. And you feel it, yeah. But I, I do like... I think some of my favourite panels in here are the interaction between Wen and the other assassin when he's like, throws him the camera and Wen drops the camera. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, that's fine, other- I'll do everything. You go bring the car around. God, never meet your heroes. <laughs> that's it. He thinks he's this top grade assassin, doesn't he? But Mr. Wen's clearly just a schlub. Which is kind of great. It's kind of great that that there's so little knowledge of who the other assassins are that the assumption is just well you're here you must be here to kill this woman with me why would you not be (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know there's a clumsiness to that kind of lack of organisation amongst hitmen that's like kind of lovably dumb Mm -hmm. like just not knowing anything but just the assumption of well you must be so yeah let's get to murdering i <laughs> get to no, it. Re- re- really odd dynamics between the characters but i think that kind of when we haven't really seen uh mr wen interact with that many people mm-hmm. I-, I think it's interesting to see how he's gotten into this world and then to be the, for it to be kind of effortlessly gotten into this world because apparently just nobody knows who anyone is so just walk in yeah wear a suit look the part well that's i guess my suspicion is that probably mr wen has been a target at some point and has somehow got got out of it and then here we are yeah sort of dipping back in um but yeah i I think that's definitely a possibility i agree i think um yeah, it sets it even sets up like another detective who um, is likely to be Isaac a, Green. Isaac Green. Isaac Green. Um, who is likely to be very important as the story goes on, but he appears for about six panels in one issue. Yeah. Um, 
Not point, after that, really. Points out a footprint, and then, yeah, we don't see him again uh, within this volume. But I guess it's that sort of seeding and that kind of long-term storytelling that people really used to like about comics. True. Um, I, I like the idea. Like I said, I, I like that this is kind of a slow burn, feeding you little bits of information that ultimately will come together. Um, it's almost kind of Coen Brothers-esque in that sense, where you kind of get little bits of information that I feel like will end up coming together very quickly at some point. Mm-hmm. It could be, I mean, it could be volume two, it could be volume three, four, four who knows? It could be when... It, this feels like it could be as long as Rick Remender has got ideas for where the plot goes. Yeah. I, um, I don't know, three volumes feels good to me. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of books at the moment that are kind of three-ish volumes, so... Three's just a good length for a story, isn't it? You've got your first volume to set it up. Second volume's the meat. Third volume's your ending. You keep referring to second volumes as the meat at the moment, and <laughs> there's something about it that just don't feel right. I don't know what it is. Well, it's like, a, like a sandwich, you know, a meat sandwich. Everybody's favourite. Undescribed meat. Mm-hmm. Vague meat. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree. I think we've we've seen stuff at the moment. Um, Homesick Pilots is coming to a close, mm-hmm. so the third volume, and it feels like the right length. Um, other things I've been a big fan of, like uh, Royal City, were three volumes, and I think did everything they needed to. So yeah, I, I can see that this... I mean, this is very different to Homesick Pilots and Royal City, yeah. um, but only in kind of every way. <laughs> uh, but I, I could see this yeah volume one gives us the premise volume two well does it give us the premise I, mean, I don't even know yeah gives us some premise volume two fleshes that out volume three brings it all home yeah I mean so it doesn't overstay its welcome on the other hand Rick Remender does have some very long comics he does he does some very long so, series most of which I've read <laughs> I don't know. Low is relatively short. Mm-hmm. So Fear Agent's not too long. Um, I'd say Black Science and Deadly Class are long. Pretty <laughs> still, long. Black Science finished, but mm-hmm. Deadly Class is still ticking, I think. It's either finished or is coming to a finish, I think. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not quite up to date. Black no, Science, no, I, Black I. Science I, I read. Um, but we'll see. End I guess there's... Scumbag's still going, right? Yeah. Not yeah. sure where that's up to. Volume yeah. three? Are we on he now? did a few standalones as well, is it? Um, Last Days of American Crime. Yeah. So. Just reeling off the bibliography of yeah. Rick Remender now. Seven to Eternity. Yeah, that's a good one too. Anyway, all you Remender fans out there. <laughs> Just roll them off all the yeah. books we can remember. <laughs> Um, but no, I'm kind of I'm, I'm interested to see where this can go and how long this can go for. Um, maybe three volumes is the right length. Maybe it just feels good to me. Yeah, I uh, I don't want it to outstay its welcome. I want it to stay a kind of slow burny but intriguing crime book. I don't want it to become a kind of unending crime story. Um, yeah, I want it to have a sort of explosive conclusion and then get out of there and then be done. I, I think <laughs> that's. Um, like Brubaker, Ed Brubaker constantly has another crime book and another crime book. And I, I think whilst they're not always connected, sometimes I do struggle with when it's like very similar crime stories, mm-hmm. just with a kind of different lick of paint. For Yeah, he's very much got his, uh, his sort of style in his area, doesn't he? But I mean, he's got a massive fan base, so he's clearly, he's clearly doing yeah, something. No, it's, yeah. Don't be wrong, Brubaker's great. Um, I just think I made that fatal mistake of reading a lot of his books back to back and you kind of go, oh, this is okay. This is the same characters casting the same actors cast as different characters. Um, but no, I, I feel like we don't get a lot of Remenda crime stuff. Everything kind of has its own spin. We've had sci-fi and we've had, I guess, more action books. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've never read anything from him that is kind of pure, Crime. I mean, don't be wrong. This could get real sci-fi at some point, but I don't feel like it's going to. No, no. I think it would be a, perhaps a disservice if it a did. real left turn. Volume yeah. two, sci-fi. 
but yeah, I'm not very much excited to see where this goes. I'm. Uh... Yeah, definitely. I think you know maybe we'll be back here for volume two. Maybe we'll save it and we'll do a full recap thing at volume three. Yeah, a thing, a thing. I'll be honest. I don't have a lot more to add. I think we've kind of reached that wall of there's only so much we can both talk about a book we both like. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, I've got very little to criticise, and I think um, you know, read it. Go on, go on. <laughs> yeah, go on, no, read it instead. I, I, I definitely think this is worth checking out, and even if crime isn't normally your thing, or you know, you're not a big Rick Remender fan. Um, I think there's something interesting about this story. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like one of his normal... Um, no, this feels very different. And I think that's kind of a good thing. I think yeah. it can be good to kind of... Branch you know, out a little bit. Branch out, break out your comfort zone and give something that different readers might be into. Mm-hmm. Angela would be into this. Angela likes crime. Yeah. Crime and Valiant. Crime and Valiant and Valiant and Crime. Uh, also dinosaurs and robots. That's right. A dino <laughs> robo heist is set in the Valiant universe. I think we can all be boiled down to some core concepts. It's just Angela is very easy to recognise with her enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. For... And mostly pessimism. <laughs> moroseness. Anything bleak. Yeah. And, and massive spaceships. Yeah, that's that's kind of you in a nutshell. Yeah. I think I have <laughs> branded myself in the last year of being overly enthusiastic about humanoid turtles. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I stand by it. I mean, yeah. The turtles will always be <laughs> will always be amongst my absolute favourite of all things. I like other things. I also like punk bands and ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> wow, um, I've really narrowed that down. I like pizza. I like the New York sewer system. And I like April O'Neil and Casey Jones. And that's it. They're all the things that I like. Yeah, you know, they're all up there. Dislikes. Technodromes. Love, love me a good Technodrome. <laughs> Shredders. Etc. Uh, shredder. Oh, Shredder. Oh, <laughs> Shredder. So on that strange, conclusive note... <laughs> um, this has been Bigger Than Capes. Um, we have other episodes on all of the podcast places. So if you liked this, go get some more. Uh, we have written reviews at biggerthancapes.com. And we also have a coffee page if you want to support us as we do this. Woo! Um, we have been Will and Zach, Zach and Will collectively bigger than capes and remember the comics are bigger, bigger than, than capes, capes. Bueno.